Father, I thank you for the power of your word. It changes us. That's the very nature of truth. It shows us Jesus, points us to him, to follow him, live for him in this kingdom in which there is conflict between light and darkness, truth and lies, God and the devil. But God, we know who wins in the end, and we have purposed in our heart to pursue him. And so, Jesus, I ask, show us, reveal more about you to us today that we would live more fully for you. So, Spirit of God, go beyond these words of this man and speak, Spirit of God, to every single heart. Would you do this, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have house rules in your home? House rules. You have house rules? Uh, Anybody who have actually written those house rules down? Most of us, okay, uh, usually we don't, but we have house rules. We're going to look at a passage in Mark 7 in which we're going to see something that I'm going to call house rules. We're going to need to look at them and see what exactly is that I'm even talking about, but we're going to see how the Pharisees treated house rules, and then I want us to then step back and say, ask that so what question, how does this then apply to me? But uh, So I've entitled this message, House Rules, but before I begin, I would like to share with you, and uh, I'd like to share with you some of the house rules that I grew up with. Understand there were five boys and one girl, and just take that in consideration as I share these house rules with you. Excuse me. Number one, house rule, do not let the hamster out of his cage. We have cats. Number two, do not for any reason, known or more than likely unknown, put the hamster in the heat vent, especially during wintertime. Number three, do not attempt to flush the cat down the toilet, even if he'd been trying to help you find the hamster. Number four, do not hatchet the bunk bed supporting post. Please don't ask why. Number five, do not climb on the roof and jump off, even if you think you're Superman and have a cape to prove it. Number six, when cleaning your room, understand there are four of us young boys sharing one large bedroom. When cleaning your room, you are not allowed to throw your clothes in the toy box or under the bed, seeing we didn't have a closet. Number seven, you cannot use the bathroom walls to practice your artwork. Personally, I figured that's why God made bedroom walls, but apparently my dad disagreed. Number eight, you may not wear extra underwear when you know you will be spanked. Apparently, and at the time I was grateful for this, my mom didn't get the memo. Number nine, under no circumstances are you ever permitted to see how far a butter knife can be inserted into an electrical outlet. Number 10, you are not allowed to hang out with the older guys on the block, especially the ones who smoke. If you chose to disobey this last rule, and found yourself picked on by those older boys in view of my sermon two month, two weeks ago, make absolutely sure you can make it to the backyard fence before them. 
we had house rules. Today, is, we're going to look at this passage. We're going to see some house rules, but we're going to see house rules can be divided into two things. And I think as you reflect on your own household, you'll notice this. Number one, you desire to have your house rules grounded in God's commands. God's commands. And number two, and that's basic, but number two, then there are the parents' commands. And under the parents' commands, we can see two reasons for these. Number one, for the general benefit of all in the house. In my family, in my home, one of the house rules is, we tr- at least we try, no yelling. Even, you know, we try not to yell up the stairs, but sometimes we still do, but no yelling. And the reason for this is because loud voices generates a lot of noise, and we want to keep the atmosphere in the house. Aside from like Friday night when there was a party in my house, we try to keep that noise level down. But because children are too young to make their own wise choices, we also have house rules, like bedtime. And so my children had a bedtime. When they reached a certain age, we allowed flexibility with that bedroom, uh, that bedtime, so that now most of them go to bed after 8.30. But the truth is that there are house rules. Some of them are rooted in the Word of God, and some of them, they're just plain wise. You see, we encounter Scripture this way. There are commands of God, and then there is wisdom from God. You want to know the wisdom from God? Read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs doesn't just always say, this is right and this is wrong. It says, hey, hang on a second. Don't greet your neighbor with a loud greeting early in the morning. Now, it's not like you can't go up to them and you know they're awake and say, hey, John, great to see you. But the caution is wisdom. Hey, don't wake them up. They may never welcome you back. And so there's wisdom here. It's not a hard and fast rule, but there's wisdom. And as parents, we desire to impart wisdom to our children. At some point, though, we say, you know what? You're on your own now. You can come and you can ask me, but you're on your own now. And I want to see that as we move into the New Testament, there is this sense in which the commands of God remain, but God is saying, hey, there's wisdom here, caution. How do we treat those? Well, the Pharisees, they didn't do such a good job with that. Let me read, starting with verse 1, Mark 7 Verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through verse 23. Are you with me? I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, the house rules, if you will? 
Why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting, he's going to give an example here. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban. We're going to need to look at that word. That is a gift devoted to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother, like honoring his father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, if it is, rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you get it? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Now, this is a somewhat similar experience, that is a similar setting, as Mark chapter 2. Now, you might remember there that Jesus had come back to Capernaum, and it appears that that's where he is now. Different ways to discover that, but he is probably in Capernaum. And the Pharisees have come from Jerusalem, just like in Mark 2. You remember where the Pharisees were when Jesus was sitting in his, well, actually, Peter and Andrew's house. They were sitting around him. The Pharisees were. And that's when the paralytic comes down. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth isn't be healed, but it is, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you remember that? And the Pharisees looked at each other like, who does he think he is, God or something? And Jesus went on to prove that. Yes, he was. But the Pharisees were scrutinizing everything about him. And that's what's happening here. You see, they want to know who is this Jesus. He's gaining so much popularity we, we didn't get into it, but in chapter 3, he actually breaks the Sabbath. 
He doesn't observe it as they would have him to. And they view him as a Sabbath breaker. So wait a second, if this man is from God and he's doing these miracles to prove that, then why is he breaking the commands of God? And they're missing the very heart of the commands of God. And that is what I want us to look at. And how is it that we are to follow Christ concerning the commands of God? Because if we're not careful, we're going to want to establish house rules for the rest of our lives. And Jesus is going to say to you, I need you to grow up. And we're going to, just, we're going to, see, exactly, we're going to see exactly what he means by that and how that's to be accomplished. And so these Pharisees, they're, they're, they're gathered around Jesus and they notice something. You know what? When you're just, you and your disciples sit down to eat, you, you don't wash your hands. Now, how many of you have a house rule? Hey, kids, when you come in from playing in the playground, digging in the sand and the mud, and in Florida, there's a whole lot more of sand than there is mud. But as you, when you do that, you come in to eat dinner. The first thing that you're going to do is wash your hands. And some of you have a cute little song, okay, you've got to sing it. And maybe if you sing it too quickly, you've got to sing it twice just to make sure you get all those ugly, gross germs off their hands, right? And so <laughs> the Pharisees had this problem with them not washing their hands, but for a very different reason than you moms and dads do. See, we have this understanding from science that there are germs in that dirt, in that sand, and you're going to get it on your hands. And now when you eat, it could get on your spoon or fork or in your mouth, and you're going to get sick. So wash your hands before. They didn't have that view. See, when they say unclean, they mean ceremonially unclean. So here's the problem. Back in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was incumbent upon the priests when they are dealing with the animal sacrifices to wash their hands. There were 10 lavers around the tabernacle and the temple. There was one large one, the, the sea, in which they, they called it the sea. They would put the sacrifice in there and wash that. And then in the 10 lavers, the, they would wash their hands. They, would, they were also supposed to wash pots and pans and these types of things. Now, this command was given to the priests. Now, not all the Pharisees, though, were priests. So, my goodness, for me to be really holy, spiritual, and clean, ceremonially clean, they then took that Old Testament command, or really commands, the ceremonial law, that was given to the priests, and they then began to apply it to themselves, and they had the rest of the people apply it to themselves. So do you see what they were doing there? Wow, to be really spiritual, to be really right with God and holy, it's not just the priests that need to do this, but hey, guys, let's all do this. But in doing that, they did this with many commands, in their desire for hyper-spirituality, they enacted certain commands that were not in accordance with God's law and actually contradicted them. And we see one of these here because this concept of Corbin, which is an offering to the Lord, there would be a vow that a young man would give that I am going to dedicate my income to the Lord. And if my parents need help, financially, 
I would have to say to them, mom and dad, I'm so sorry, but because I am such a godly man, I have dedicated all of my finances outside of my own living, and I've dedicated that to the Lord, and so I give it to the temple and the service there and et cetera, et cetera, so I don't have anything for you. And Jesus got downright angry with them because they enforced this tradition of the elders, the house rules, if you will, that were not governed and actually contradictory to the law of God to honor your father and mother. And they would basically say, I'm sorry, but to, for me to follow this command of man, I have to break this command of God and not help you out. And so they, they began to enact laws that actually contradicted God's laws. Jesus, that, that's the first thing that Jesus deals with here. Now, I'm going to kind of lay it out for you so that you see these two problems that Jesus is addressing, and then I want to kind of bring it into uh, how do we sort through this and, and live this out in our own lives. The second thing that Jesus deals with is this concept of unclean or clean foods. Now, this concept of clean and unclean actually goes back to before the Mosaic Law. We find when Noah gets off the ark, he sacrifices what type of animals? He specifically sacrifices clean animals. Now, to our knowledge, this is the first time that this concept is used, and it's specific for what God wants in sacrifices but sacrifices, understand, is Old Testament. And so, when we move into the New Covenant, or excuse me, the Old Covenant under Moses, it was a given. Okay, there's clean and they're unclean, except the Mosaic Law went even further. It's not just clean and unclean with regard to sacrifices, but now it's clean and unclean with regard to what you can eat. Now, do you follow that? And so, when you come into the New Testament, and there are certain clean and unclean laws that are established. Now, this then became a problem because the Pharisees, the Pharisees would enact these extra laws, and then they would come to these, the ceremonial law, and they felt so right before God. Now, these were commands given, but now we're in the time of Jesus, and we need to see something here. Jesus declared all foods clean. Why is that? Number, or, 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 why is Jesus doing this? Number one, let's understand that Jesus has now the authority. This is what Mark is telling us. Jesus has the authority to change the ceremonial law that was enacted by God himself. So the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus has authority concerning the word of God. Now, do you remember when Jesus, when the Pharisees were asking him about why he didn't observe the Sabbath in a certain way, he answered them with this. He said, the son of man, referring to himself, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to understand that that declaration was in essence saying that he was the master and therefore even the author of the commandment to observe the Sabbath. 
Church, that was God who spoke those words. So for Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath meant he was God. The very same thing here, Jesus is now declaring. Why? Because he has the authority to declare these foods clean, to declare all foods clean. So that's the first thing that I, I want us to see. The second thing is that Jesus was actually fulfilling the very purpose of these, the, these ceremonial laws. And what we discover is this amazing truth. See, everything in the Old Covenant, everything, all of the laws, they all pointed to Jesus. That, For example, the ceremonial law, sacrifices, anything and everything dealing with the temple, they were little snapshots, if you will, little pictures of what was going to be in Christ. And we discover that even the festivals, all of the ceremonial law pointed to Jesus. And now that Jesus had come and the, all of these pictures pointing to him, he then, and I'm going to use this term, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. He fulfilled that. He was the embodiment of, he was the real thing. You know, you can take a picture, a still life picture, and, and they're cool, but isn't it so much more awesome when you're standing right there? I love to see a picture of the Grand Canyon, but I, had, I took four, we, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona for three years. There were four times in which we visited the Grand Canyon because everyone who would visit us, they just wanted to see the Grand Canyon. What an when you're right there and you're traveling down the, the trails and everything and then doing your best to travel back, just so totally exhausted. But what an amazing, what an amazing creation of God that he did, right? And it, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. So pictures are great, but the real thing that's what I want. You know, I, I don't want to just have a picture of my home. I want my home. I don't want to have a, just a picture of my family. I want my family, right? And so now all of these ceremonial, they were pictures. And so, of course, now that Christ has come, he in essence is saying, I'm it, guys. It's all about me. Now, that's a bold statement. The focus of all of the Old Testament moving the new is about Jesus. Now, Colossians 2.16 and in Hebrews 10.1, there's a different word that's used, and it's shadows. Now, I've, I've mentioned this to you before. You remember, they, these old, the, the, the ceremonial law festivals and so on, they were shadows of things to come. The reality, as the NAV says, but the Greek word is the body is Christ. And so the body casts the shadow. And so all of these little pictures that now I'm using the metaphor of shadows, they all are about Christ. Christ is casting that shadow. So if you want to know about the, the amazing sacrifice of Christ and have a better understanding of it, you can go to what happens in the Jewish Passover that they were commanded to follow. But in the New Covenant, we are not. Why? Because Christ has come. And so in that Passover, you begin to see this picture of sin and the consequence of death, 
But if the blood of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, covers you, you are protected in Christ. And we're told that our sins are forgiven, that the Father now passes over us by his judgment and wrath. And we use this word propitiation. That means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary actually paid for my sins so that God the Father, when he looks upon me, he doesn't look upon me in anger and wrath with his justice and holiness because that's what should happen because of my sin. But instead, he sees Christ. He sees the blood of Jesus over the doorpost, over your life, his life for yours. And so all of these Old Testament ceremonial law were simply pictures or shadows of Christ himself. And so Jesus, simply by declaring all foods clean, this is what he is saying, that he is the master of the entire Old Testament law, that he is now the fulfillment of these things. And now, here's what we need to understand. And I'm gonna be brief here because this is not my central point of what I want us to focus on. I'm getting at something here. There is a difference between how Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law and how Jesus fulfilled the moral law. We live in a day in which within what has come to be called the grace reformation or the grace movement, there is such a focus on Christ fulfilling the law that that this teaching that comes out goes to the extent of saying, Jesus fulfilled the moral law, and now listen to me, and therefore, we do not need to follow it. It's fulfilled. But our problem, the problem, is a lack of understanding. What does it mean when Jesus said he fulfilled the law? He said this in Matthew 5, by the way. He fulfilled the moral law by living it. He didn't just live the letter of the law. Church, he fulfilled the heart of the law, the very spirit of the law. He fulfilled it to become that, number one, to become that amazing example. Remember Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus was the perfect reflection of God. He lived completely in unity and fellowship with the Father and in in godliness. He exuded the character of God Almighty in his life, okay? So he did this to give us an example. But church, see, he also fulfilled the moral law by living it entirely and completely to become that perfect sacrifice for me and you in which there is no blemish. That's how he fulfilled the moral law. But see, the ceremonial law, he fulfilled that because they're all pointed to him. So when we come to the new covenant, We can say Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law. He fulfilled the Passover. He fulfilled the Feast of Tabernacles. He fulfilled the Sabbath. He fulfilled all of this. But the moral law, he fulfilled in a different way. And consequently, we do follow the moral law. All right, now with that understanding, let me me find my place here. Okay, I want you to turn. Keep your fingers in Mark 6. I want us to look at something in Galatians chapter three. And I'm gonna be brief here because I've actually preached on this. I, I'm trying to remember a year or so ago. 
But in Galatians 3, I want us to understand now the place of the law. That is the ceremonial law, the, even the moral law, the law of Moses. What is its place? And in Gal- follow me now as I read from Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 21. Okay. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of of God. His argument was that the promises of God came with Abraham and were not nullified when the law of Moses, several hundred years later, were inaugurated. So is the law opposed to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, so please understand, no command of God can impart life life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed so that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, We are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now, under the the supervision of the law, that is actually one Greek word. It's paidagogos. And it's basically a superintendent or a supervisor or a glorified babysitter or one that was put in charge over the child, not so much to teach him, but to make sure he minded his P's and Q's on his way to work, while he was doing his schoolwork, while he was playing, and he superintended his behavior, okay? That was the purpose of the law. Now, follow me as we turn just two chapters later in chapter 5, Verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Pharisees chose to remain under the law. Not only were they under the law, but they began to construct extra laws to make sure that they obeyed God, to make sure that they were especially holy. The, the, what we find here then in Galatians is that the law is no longer our paedagogos. He's no longer the one who supervises our behavior and superintends us and leads us. Who or what leads us? Paul is saying the Spirit of God leads us. And, and just think about this for just a moment before I move on. If you were to be led by the law, how are you to love your neighbor? Because the Bible just simply says, love your neighbor. It says some other things, like if you see his animal fallen into a hole, you are obligated to help that animal out of the hole. But can you imagine that if God wanted to make absolutely sure that we never sinned and always followed him based on law, he would have to have written millions of laws, not just those principles, but millions of them to cover every single potential problem that we would encounter. 
This, this is obviously ridiculous. But this is what the Pharisees began to do. They felt compelled by law. They needed their lives ruled by rules. And in the new covenant, now that we have the Spirit, we are now led by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to tell you this. It is so much easier in the Christian life to be led by rules. It is. Now, as I move on, please understand, I am in no way saying we don't need to follow the moral law anymore. Then why in the New Testament does Paul say, like in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents because Scripture says, honor your father and your mother. That's New Testament. Paul's not wanting to erase the moral law, but he's wanting us to say it no longer leads us, the Spirit does. And if, if we are led by rules, by our house rules, spiritual house rules, we will come under the bondage of the law and we will fail to mature as spiritual adults. We must learn to be led by the Spirit of God. Give me just a moment here. I'm going to find my place. And so the Pharisees, they enacted all of these laws. They were like spiritual parents that failed to raise godly children. Let me just give you an example. In our house, when our children were young, we gave them a strict bedtime. 8.30, 9.30, 9 whatever it is. When they reached a certain age, we advised them. And now in our home, since they're all adults, I don't give them a bedtime, but I do ask them, please get enough sleep so that when you live in my home, you are not grumpy, all right? I value an atmosphere in my home that is filled with joy and peace and not anger. And if you don't get your sleep, you will be angry, and we don't want that. So please do what you can. But, you know, if they're up till 4 o'clock in the morning, sometimes that's happened, ministering, praying. God is ministering to them. I'm not going to say, hey, you got to bed too late. That You broke the rules because that's not a rule in our house anymore. As a child, it was. But as an adult, it is not. Okay? The Pharisees, they didn't like living that way. They wanted the house rules to abide all the time. So they created them. I create my house rules. You know what? We have a house rule based on the command of God. Do not murder. You are not allowed to murder in my household. (laughs) But I also have another rule. And as a child, I strictly enforced it, and that is, when you're angry, you cannot hit your brother or sister. You can't do that. I don't care if you felt threatened by them. I don't care if they said mean words to you. You cannot hit them. However, when they got older, (laughs) I'm going to be really careful here, right? I needed to teach them that at some point you needed to defend yourself. Hopefully you didn't have to hit your brother or sister. But when you're in a situation out in the world, you may need to defend yourself. And how are you going to do that? And I gave them permission. You may use force to defend yourself. In essence, what I'm saying is, 
You need to be led by the Spirit. There are biblical principles at play here. But being led by the Spirit now means I need to defend myself, okay? Can I be honest with you? It truly is so much easier if we just had a bunch of rules. If we would always know what to do, we wouldn't need to rely on the Spirit. We have biblical principles granted, but if we build a lot of other principles or rules on those biblical principles, it would make life easier. Do you see what I'm saying? I've actually had people come up to me and say, Pastor Mike, what should I do in this situation? And I would say, okay, here's what the Bible says. And now my counsel, hear what I'm saying, is I think this is wisdom. But you now need to make that decision for yourself. And there are some people that don't like that. Do you know why? Because now if they make their own choice and they blow it, they bear that responsibility. But see, if I tell them what to do, it's on me. Oh, but Pastor Mike said, no, 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 no. That is not what I said, right? This is maturity. You see, the Pharisees, they didn't like that. They wanted it easy. They wanted to build laws upon laws upon laws upon laws, and it brought bondage. And Jesus said, you know what? If you can trust me, you can live this life totally dependent upon the spirit that I'm going to give you, and you will be guided by these, rule, these, the, the, these truths of God's word, these commands of Christ. But when you apply them in all of these hundreds of possibilities, can you listen to my spirit and be led by my spirit so you can follow me? I will not give you a hundred million laws to cover every possible angle that you could face in life. You need to follow me. So guess what, church? Contrary to what the Pharisees' mindset was, we therefore need to grow up. We therefore need to stop looking to others as parents in that sense. Well, just give me a command. And so I don't, it's not my responsibility so that I don't have to seek God, so that I don't have to rely on the Spirit. That is immaturity. That is immaturity. The Pharisees were immature because of this. When I was a young man, I made a, a young man, I mean in my late teens, just a few years old in the Lord. The potential for me to lust after a young lady was very strong. I was still trying to allow the spirit to fill me and guide me to hate what's evil, to cling to what's good, but I wasn't there yet. And so I made a personal choice. I didn't obligate others to this decision that I made for myself, but I, basically, I said that I wasn't going to go to the beach. That is a place where I think I'm going to fail almost all the time. So I'm not going to go to the beach. But, you know, as I grew up, I, because there was temptation there, the problem is that those types of rules can protect us, but they fail. And this is what Paul says in Colossians 2, 23. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'm all for protecting ourselves from temptation. 
But if we build so many laws in our life to protect us from temptation, we will not grow in dependence upon the Spirit, not just in decision-making, but in, in accessing his grace and accessing his strength. See, that is spiritual maturity. You can add all the laws that you want. Yeah, don't go to the beach. That's totally fine. But at some point in your life, you will need to struggle and you will need to come out victoriously and say no and hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That is maturity. That is depending upon the grace that the Spirit offers us. That is life. That is what, he, that is what the Scripture calls spiritual Christian maturity. But the Pharisees didn't want to have any part of that. I guess they never went to the beach. I don't know. The truth is that I came to a point in my life in which I laxed on that rule and I needed to be mature and led by the Spirit. And can I say this, that if I found myself regularly stumbling, I would probably go back to that. I'm still not strong enough. And that's fine. And that's fine for you. But church, we need to access the Spirit, hear from Him, so that we walk in the Spirit. And in Galatians 5, it actually says, keep in step with the Spirit. House rule number 10, that I was told not to hang out with the older guys in the neighborhood because most of them smoked. At some point, I set that law, that rule, aside when I got older. And Jesus did too. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's verse 33. I'm, I've got it written down here somewhere, but it says, bad company corrupts good character. That's a truth. Careful of that temptation. You hang out with a lot of bad pe people with bad character, it will influence you. The Bible also says in Proverbs, it says, do not associate with a gossiper. It says in Proverbs as well, do not associate with a hot-tempered man. Why? Because you will become like him. But listen to this. Jesus, in spiritual maturity, anointed by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, hung out with sinners. He even brought his disciples. And he hung out at a party in Levi's house with a lot of publicans and sinners, which to me says, more than likely, there were also prostitutes there. Friends of Levi, now that he was saved, it was like, Jesus, I've got all of these sinner friends of mine. Maybe you can change their lives like you did me. So I'm just going to gather them all together and we're going to have a party. And you know what, Jesus? I'm going to make this party in honor of you. And I'm going to invite all my prostitute friends and all of my publican friends and all of those scum of the earth. Wow, really? I have Anyway, I'm going to invite them all. And Jesus came with this intention to impact them, not just to hang out and have fun and so on and so forth with, anyway, Whatever else goes on at parties, Jesus was intentional. I am coming because I want to share life to th with them. I did not come to call the righteous, that is the self-righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Because for Jesus, spiritual maturity understood bad company corrupts good character, but I am going with an intention so that I will rescue the lost. Now, do you, do you feel the, I hope you feel the tension in that. And Jesus was led by the Spirit. Here's our problem. Here is our problem. 
<clears throat> as we are wrestling with this, on the one hand, we want to add a bunch of laws to make following Jesus easier. But on the other, there's a tendency, oh my goodness, um, if I throw off all of these laws, if I, if I, that is the house rules, the ones that I have added for my protection, if we do that, then I might be led by the flesh and not the spirit. And so we don't do either. And we, get in, we stay in bondage, we stay in immaturity. We're like Jack Sparrow, holding his broken compass, right? Eventually, you find out why that his compass isn't necessarily broken. What does his compass do? It points to what his heart truly desires. That's what Disney says, follow your heart, right? We're afraid, oh my goodness, you know, maybe I'm going to hold in my hand Jack Sparrow's broken compass and we're feeling maybe we can't do this, maybe we can't be led by the Spirit. And so we, we stack up all of these laws. Parents, they struggle with this. I'm now going to be giving you freedom. Oh God, please may they start making wise choices. And we gradually release them into the opportunity to make their own decisions, having wisdom and discernment. Now, I want us to conclude with this. Jesus knew how to walk in the Spirit. Mark purposely tells us, remember in chapter 1, Jesus was the Son of God. At his baptism, the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The father wasn't pleased by all the miracles that Jesus had done because the truth is he hadn't done any miracles. He was just in intimate fellowship with the father. In the very next chapter, we find Jesus rising early and he goes off away from the house, Peter's house, and he is seeking his father. And everyone wakes up and look around, where's Jesus? Man, we've, we've got more people to heal. We have, talent, we have, you know, there's so many people that were probably already coming to the door. Where's Jesus? Can he come out and play? Okay, you know, let, let, let's have Jesus come out. I, I've got my son. I've got my wife. He needs to heal him. And, and so, the, you know what? I, I don't know where Jesus is. Let me go look for him. And with all these people beginning to line upside, outside the house, Jesus, where are you? People are asking about you. And he says, in, in essence, I needed to be here. Plus, we've got other work to do. Let's go on. But you, you, you get that feeling. He is seeking this intimacy with the Father. Because as one anointed by the Spirit to do miracles, now he has to walk in intimacy with the Spirit. Do you remember when he chose the 12 disciples in Mark 3, the very next chapter? Did he go up to the mountainside <clears throat> and pray for a few minutes and said, okay, Got it. I know all the, I know the 12 names, and they go back down. Do you know what he did? He spent the entire night, not sleeping, praying. All night, praying about those 12. Maybe it started out, Father, who is it that you're calling? And maybe at that moment, we don't know, the Father revealed to him that one of these is one who will betray you. But I need him to be with you. Father, then 
how, how do I impart life and truth to these men? Because the day is gonna come in which I'll be here no more and it's just gonna be them with their spirit. How do I do this? And I'm sure much of his prayer had to do with the father showing him how he was to train them. But church, all night with the father in prayer. Remember after feeding the 5,000, they wanted to make him king, and so he quickly sent off his disciples to cross the lake, and it says he sent the, the, the people off, and he went up into a mountainside to pray. You see, the, the intimacy with the Father, that is what's key here. Jesus just didn't want that Isaiah 61 anointing of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim the good news, heal the brokenhearted, etc. But he needed to access that intimacy with the Father so that he could hear the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit because he was the Son of God in whom the Father was well pleased. And that is where you stand as his son, as his daughter, in whom he is well pleased. Not because of all of the wonderful things that you've done, but because you are in fellowship with him as a child of God. Now I'm encouraging you. Do you want to grow up? Do you want to mature? At some point, it's not like you cast out the house rules because some of them are actually commands of God, like in my home, do not murder. All right? But at some point, you come to maturity, which means some of these house rules I don't follow anymore. You know, at church, I don't have a bedtime. I don't. I have a self-imposed one because I know after 11 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin. But I realize I need my sleep. Maturity means that my wife doesn't say, now, Mike, you know, come on, it's got five minutes till 11, get to bed. <laughs> yeah, because she's already asleep, right? <laughs> but instead, maturity means that I do this and I walk in the spirit and there are going to be times in which I am ministering to someone late at night. That happens. But can you come to this place where you choose? I'm not going to make Christianity easy and just put together a hundred or a thousand different laws. I am going to press into God. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to listen for this. You see, Jesus said only what he heard his Father say to him on earth. I don't believe that Jesus is referring to before he became a man and the father spoke to him when he is on earth and in that intimate relationship, on that mountainside, praying all night for his disciples, he heard from the father. And it was in those intimate times. And as you press into Jesus, and as you leave immaturity behind, as you press into him and seek him with all of your heart, that's when you begin to hear the Spirit speaking to you. That's when you begin to walk in the Spirit and the Spirit leads you and you truly take on the character of Christ in hating what's evil and clinging to what is good. And you don't need a hundred or a thousand different laws to help you because you're listening to the Spirit and you're following after Him and you have found this love for God so stirring in your heart. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep 
my commands. Do you remember that passage in John 14? If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, you can understand this, that in order for me to prove my love to Jesus, I've got to keep his commands. You can, you can view it that way. Can I share with you just a little bit of different way of, of, of seeing that that might help us out today? That if you love him, if you love him, he is going to so stir in you that you will keep his commands. You see that? That when I am falling more and more in love with Jesus, that he is stirring in my heart this longing to follow him. And his, his commands are light and his burden is light, church. Because it's empowered by the Spirit and not a hundred or a thousand different laws that only creates bondage. It produces maturity. So today, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to maturity. Now, you may be at an age in which you are still needing to listen to moms and dads' house rules, okay? But there's going to come a time in which they're, they're going to release you. I'm going to be releasing a son here in just a matter of months onto his own. He's gotten a job offer with Lockheed out in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. I'm kind of helping him with, you know, finances and these types of things. But there's going to come a day in which I say, son, I showed you how to fix this, that, and the other. You can always call me or you can Google it. That's up to you, how to fix that faucet or how to fix that car. I'm here for you. But now you've become a man and you're establishing your own household and you need to walk in maturity. That's what I'm saying to you. Walk in maturity. And the only way you're going to do this is by pressing into Jesus and listening and following the Spirit of God. Because if you are, you will not be led by the law. You will now be led by a different leader, the Spirit of God. Can you stand with me? Father, as, as we contemplate these truths of your word, Father, I hope that they are challenging for us. I, I, I hope, Father, there is something in our hearts that longs for maturity, that longs for a, this pursuit after the Jesus that made all things clean because he is the creator and master and I want to pursue him. Stir that in us, God. Father, if, if we have lost our way, if we've maybe even thrown off all of these house rules and we're running or walking contrary to your will and we're looking to the things of the world to satisfy us, would you today show us Jesus? The one who laid down his life, sacrificed himself, took upon himself the punishment that I deserve for my sin. And Father, I pray that that truth would penetrate this hard heart and change me as I make that choice to believe in Jesus and surrender to him. Father, if we've, if we've lost our way, if we're trying to do things our way, if we've thrown off all of these restraints and if we have been pursuing our flesh, today call us back to you, God. Call us to this Jesus 
who loved us so much he gave himself for us. And Father, I ask, may we so completely and thoroughly fall in love with your son. Please, Father. And walk in intimacy with your spirit. Bring us to maturity. Father, this world is waiting. It's waiting for some people to rise up so different than those around them that will help lead the way. Jesus, you started. We're choosing now to rise up and follow you. May that be us that rises up in this generation to follow you. God, please empower us to that end. In Jesus' name I ask, amen, amen.